Well, good morning. We're going to be in First uh, Timothy chapter four. First Timothy chapter four. Uh, this is sermon fifteen in First Timothy. If you're keeping up, glad you're here. Uh, if you've been with us for a while, uh, you may be shocked that we're actually out of chapter three, uh, but we made it. We got out of chapter three, and so chapter four now awaits us, and it is uh, quite good. Uh, I can assure you. Um, let's go ahead and read 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be reading 1 through 5. This is the holy word of God. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Well, let's tackle this. Uh, Paul, after spending a tremendous amount of time in chapter 3, setting up the structure of the church and the framework of the church uh, for his young protege Timothy in his church in Ephesus, uh, and then after closing out chapter 3 uh, with this great, um, most likely a hymn or confession of faith about what we believe as Christians, he then goes into chapter 4 and makes sure that Timothy is aware of something that every pastor who enters his first pastorate um, seems to be surprised with. And even after they pastor for a while, they still get surprised. And that is that people will leave the faith. And Paul wants to make sure Timothy understands this early in his ministry. There will be those who claim Christ but in the end will walk away from the faith. Now, we are not talking about, uh, as much as sometimes we may feel so, we are not talking about, talking about people who leave our church. That's not who go to another church. That's not how we think. Uh, it may be how we think sometimes, uh, but that is not what Paul is speaking to here. Paul is speaking to those who leave the faith. They claim Christ at one point, they claim to be believers, but they end up departing from the Christian faith. And in particularly in this passage, they devote themselves to a different kind of teaching. And the word devoted is interesting. They devote themselves to a different kind of teaching. And that teaching uh, is led by deceitful spirits and teachings of Demons, And this should not surprise us. If you remember the parable of the sower, uh, there are four seeds uh, that are thrown out in the illustration of the gospel. Uh, only uh, one of those bears fruit, uh, if you remember that. So uh, it is not surprising. Now, one of those, the first seed is immediately stolen. The other two actually spring forth and show some life, per se. Uh, but in the end, uh, they uh, are quenched or choked out and they die. And so it is very possible, and that is why we as a church to become a member here go through a covenant process, and even that does not necessarily ensure that those who 
become covenant members or truly believers. But we do know that it is possible to have an emotional experience with God. We believe it is possible to (laughs) profess certain things about God. We believe it is possible for you to uh, start attending church on a regular basis. It is possible for you to start reading the Bible. It is possible for you to maybe teach class. It is possible for you to do these things and yet not be a believer. That is why we should be careful as a church about who becomes a member and who is an elder. Because even then, uh, there can be those who depart from the faith. Now, these are not people who were believers who lost their faith, who lost their Christianity. I don't believe the Bible teaches that at all. There are some uh, denominations that might teach that. I don't believe that's a biblical idea. I don't think there's anything we could do on our own to receive salvation. And I don't think there's anything that we can do on our own to to lose our salvation. Because let me tell you, if if we could lose our salvation, I think we would all lose our salvation. I'll just be honest with you. I think we would all do that. Um, I don't think that it's all what is being discussed here. What plays into the role of these people leaving? Well, one is false teachers play a role. And this is not just false teachers in the local church. It could be just false teachers outside of that local church. Um, Or maybe even possibly even other members as well who uh, end up straying and devoting themselves to um, teachings of demons. And they get caught up in this false teaching of this or that, maybe another preacher or whatever. Uh, and they get off track. Uh, I like the way the NET translates verse 2. It says it like this. They are influenced by the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. Well, that's a description you don't want made of you. Uh, influenced by a hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. And so Paul describes these uh, false teachers, this false um, idea being taught by the demons as number one being insincere meaning they say one thing but do another they're hypocrites um, we would not have to search uh, the preaching airways on TV very far to find this happening uh, those who say one thing uh, who uh, call you to leave these worldly treasures behind Uh, as long as you send it to them, (laughs) this hypocritical kind of thing. Uh, Number two, they are liars, obviously, because of the first description. They are clearly liars, and they have their consciences seared, meaning they feel no guilt and no shame about being hypocrites. They are not in touch with the truth at all. And in particularly in this chapter, this teaching specifically is here about Marriage being bad, uh, as are certain foods. In other words, uh, Jesus is important, but there are other things that must be done or not done in order to be complete, in order to achieve ultimate holiness, in order to achieve the ultimate spirituality, or uh, something else to be done in order to be a true believer. There is a higher spiritual reality which can be realized by doing, and you fill in the blank, and in particular here, uh, by abstaining from certain foods or abstaining from marriage. common phrase you may hear people say today in 
in describing this is Jesus plus something teaching, meaning that Jesus himself is not enough. There must be something else that you must add to this. And the Bible speaks of this kind of false teaching in multiple passages. Um, it is aware uh, in the church that there will be false teachers and false teachings. Hebrews 13.9, the writer says this, uh, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. You see, this is not the first time that Paul himself has dealt with this teaching. Uh, he dealt with it in 1 Corinthians 8 in the entire chapter regarding food and food sacrifice to idols. In verse 8 of chapter 8, he says, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat it, and no better off if we do. And of course, you heard in Colossians chapter 2 in our elder reading that he dealt with this again, this idea of, don't touch this and don't do that and all these things that you should not be doing in order to attain some level of holiness. Now, I want to be careful here as I teach through this because if you grew up in the church, if you grew up in a fundamental church, if you grew up in a strict Baptist church, this teaching and what I will say today will more than likely cause you some level of discomfort. <laughs> And I recognize that. Even when I was writing my own notes, I would write out something, then I would back it up going, I can't say it that way, and I'd top it out. I'd be like, oh, I can't say that either. Even me, bound up in the legalism that I grew up in, I struggle here. So I want to be very careful and tread lightly. I am not saying that holiness is not important. If you have been in this church for very long, you have heard a tremendous emphasis uh, on purpose by our elders, on holiness. That we are called as believers to a life of holiness. That we are to be different than the world. So I'm not excusing sinful behavior. I'm not going against the teachings of James chapter 2, which your faith, if it is real, is evidenced by works. You're not saved by works. You're saved by faith. But faith... If you truly are a believer, there is evidence of that. We say that every week when we talk about the gospel. We say, how do you know that you've been saved? Because your life will never be the same again. We know that. So we're not at all saying that uh, holiness does not count. We are speaking uh, of the constant um, barrage by teachers and false teachers for sure and even I think there are people who are believers who get wrapped up in some of this false teaching that we are to be um, we are to be careful, I guess you would say, of creating these extra lists of behavior that are not in the Bible uh, that we should either be engaged in or not engaged in. Uh, these lists that we I'm going to talk about are never found in Scripture, uh, but whether they are created by men. Now, legalism could be one idea uh, for sure. Uh, that is the idea. Uh, do the list, do all these things, and if you do all these things, you get them in order, then God loves you. That is false. Okay? It's false. It's not how it works. God loves you as you are. 
says that even while you were sinning, even while you were in rebellion against him, God loved you and sent Jesus for you. And so that's not how you, you don't get God to love you and, and do those kind of things. God loves you. Uh, and in Christ, uh, you are reconciled to the Father. Uh, then the things that you do are not to get God to love you, but it's because God does love you that you desire to live out those things. And that is a difference. It could be that. Paul dealt with legalism. He also dealt with asceticism. We heard that in Colossians 2. He dealt with this. It is a lifestyle characterized by abstinence from sensual pleasures for the purpose of pursuing spiritual goals. And that's an idea. Here's what I'll do. To make sure I don't get in love with this world, I'll remove myself from any sensual pleasure whatsoever. You can almost have in your mind, in my mind, I think of some monk who's moved off in the middle of nowhere uh, in order to avoid any sensual thoughts or pleasures. I actually read a story of a monk once who every time he had a sensual thought about a woman, since he was not married, he would burn himself. And he had to keep doing it because... As we learn in Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, guess what? It says this, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. Listen to the word of God. Are you ready? But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. One reason the Bible says this is a bad idea, because it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. We, as people, and oftentimes churches, preach in such a way as if the problem of sin is something outside the body. Like, like we're good and the world is bad and sin is out there, resides out there, and this evil world is having an impact on me, and there is some level to truth to that. The world does have an impact on us. I say it a lot when we get ready for congregational prayer. It does pull on us. And we think, and sometimes churches think, that if we can just shield ourselves from the world, if we can just hide from the world, if I can just make sure I don't have any pleasure out of anything in the world, then then I wouldn't sin. We should know better than that. Sin is not out there. Sin resides in here. It's a part of the fall. And we talk about that every week in this church. No one had to teach you how to sin. We uh, educate our children at home. That's a really good way, a more modern way of saying we homeschool. (laughs) Some people, and it's often the case, people think that we did that out of some religious reason. It was not. We did not do that out of a religious reason per se. Um, And we are not at all foolish enough to believe that if we have our kids at home with us and never exposed to those evil public schoolers, <laughs> then then they won't sin. <laughs> Listen, my children have sinned and sinned well without being exposed to anybody in the public school. Public school kids sin well without being exposed to homeschoolers. <laughs> it's not where sin is. Sin is in your DNA because of the fall. 
If you are a believer and you have been rescued from the penalty of sin and you have been changed, you've been given a new heart. But listen, you know better than anybody as a new believer, as a believer, that sin still calls your name. It pulls on you. And so this idea that we can just abstain from all pleasures, we can just pull ourselves away from the world, then we would suddenly be in this spiritual utopia where we don't have any sin problems is not a reality. It's just not how the Bible says this works. And yet, churches, nevertheless, create all kinds of rules. No drinking. See, I'm in a Baptist church. <laughs> Nobody wants to say amen. <laughs> no drinking. And here's why. Because if you drink, you could drink too much and then sin. So here's the new rule. If you're a Christian, don't drink. It's not the Bible, but we, we say that. No dancing. <laughs> because dancing could lead to other things. See, see how the church does it? We, 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 we are so fearful of where it might go that we create all these rules to make sure that you follow them so you don't go there. And can I just help you out a little bit? Uh, you want to get with a group of 25-year-olds who just got out of college and ask them who has some of the biggest beer parties on college campuses? They're usually Christian people. <laughs> no, no, no amens? <laughs> You hadn't talked to some. It doesn't work, people. It doesn't work. I grew up in the 80s in youth ministry, and the idea then was to burn all of your albums. If you could burn all your rock and roll albums, then you'd be removed from sensual things. What generally happened is um, you hoped that you got a little thing in the mail where you could buy six CDs or six cassettes for $1 or something to replace all the ones that you just burned. People generally just rebought them again. Just doesn't work. The Bible says this doesn't work. This idea doesn't work. It creates burdens for believers to carry, which were never meant to be carried. And it reduces the work of the cross to nothing. You understand that, right? It reduces the work of the cross to nothing. You've come to Christ? Yes. You've repented of your sins and believe? Yes. Your life is different now? Yes. Okay, great. Listen, the cross wasn't quite enough, though. Let me introduce you to the list. <laughs> Obey the list. Follow the list. And this kind of idea from the church and from false teachers says the blood of Christ has no real power. Not really. You need a list to keep you from everything else. And so you see this here, this idea, this idea that certain foods are wrong, and even, even marriage is wrong. Even marriage is wrong. And Paul constantly fought these different ideas of false teaching through the church, saying that is not true. All this teaching, this false teaching, reduces the power of the cross and reduces the power of the blood in teaching. And he has nothing to do with it. And he calls it, this is a teaching of demons. Let me tell you, Galatians, let me tell you how Paul really felt about, about it. I love this. Like, this is in the Bible. 
Have you ever read something in the Bible and you're like, that can't really be in the Bible? This is in the Bible. Are you ready? Let me just tell you Paul's true feelings about these kind of teachings. In Galatians chapter 5, 1 through 13, it says this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And if you grew up in a legalistic church, you're like, I mean, yeah, but not really. <laughs> Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, this is all about uh, certain Christian Jews who wanted the other Christians who were Gentiles to be circumcised because they had come to Christ. Okay, now you're a Christian? Yes. Okay, have you been circumcised? No. Well, you got to get circumcised. I know we have a younger audience in here, but that's a step. Can we just say that? It's a step. And he says, look, I, Paul, say to you, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to you, every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. <clears throat> for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. And here's Paul says this. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And listen to this part. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. So where is that persuasion coming from? First Timothy 4. Paul says the persuasion happening in First Timothy 4 is coming from demons. A little leaven, leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take note of you, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. And then, and then verse 12 is in the Bible. In the Bible. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. That's in the Bible. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. In Galatians 6, verse 15, he repeats it again. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but a new creation. Yes. As one commentator says about 1 Timothy chapter 4, like circumcision, food and marriage are neither essential to salvation nor contrary to salvation. Pre to present them as such is to place people under burdens that they were never meant to carry. Amen. And I've had people say, well, that's kind of a new teaching. The tradition of the church was these rules, just the way it was. No old teacher ever said anything different. Well, John Calvin, <clears throat> old, in writing on his thoughts on 1 Timothy 4, said this, that it is inexcusable to lay a religious obligation not expressly warranted in Scripture on the consciences and command men to worship God by observe, observing those things for the prohibition of things that are indifferent, whether it be general or, or special, is always a diabolical tyranny. Wow. That's strong. Not quite as strong as Paul's. It's a false teaching. That Jesus plus something else 
to be made right and to be made holy. That is a persuasion that does not come from God. It's coming from someone else. Now, who could you possibly imagine would want Christians to find out about God and yet then suddenly be told they have all these rules and lists that they have to follow on and be exhausted to, un- to completely miss the understanding of grace and who is what is provided for them in Christ and eventually just walk away? Sounds like the ending. Paul goes on in verses 4 and 5 to explain why this idea is not a biblical idea. He says in 4 and 5, for everything created by God is good. Marriage, good. Food, good. Colossians chapter 2, go look at it. I'll just add some to it, okay? I'm not adding to the word, just explaining what he's talking about. Alcohol, good. How many of you grew up legalistic? You're like, I can't do this. He's wrong. We have this list, don't we? Because, I mean, I, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again because it's such a cool story. I literally went on staff once at a church that had a big youth center. And I found these pool tables up in this attic area where they played pool. I mean, they had all this room in this gigantic life center. But they had the pool tables up in an area where you could not really even push the sticks. It made no sense to me, and I wanted to bring them down, but I was told you couldn't bring them there. I was like, why? And they said, listen, we, those things got donated to us by a church member. We didn't want them, and we put them by the attic because, listen, if kids learn how to play pool, and they like pool, the only place they can pay pool is in a bar, and then they're going to get drunk, and they're going to ruin their marriages. <laughs> I laughed, and then I was like, oh, you're being serious. Oh, it's crazy not a biblical idea because everything was created by God and it was created good. Even in the creation story, he said everything is good. He looked over all creation and he said it's even very good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. If the Bible doesn't call it a sin... I can't even say it almost. Like, if the Bible doesn't call it a sin, go and enjoy it. Can anyone feel the tension of that? <laughs> I feel the tension of that growing up the way I grew up. And here's what I know what you're thinking. You're like, yo, but not everything is beneficial. True. Not everything is beneficial. Listen, if alcoholism runs strong in your family, I would avoid drinking. If you know that you struggle with alcohol, don't drink. That's wisdom. That is permissible for you, but it may not be very wise for you. Do you have a vacation coming up? Well, enjoy it. But be thankful to God for it. Are you married? Then enjoy your marriage and be thankful to God for it. Sex within the marriage? Enjoy that and be thankful to God for it. Great food? That might be simple. We'll talk about that later. It's not in this sermon. Great food? Enjoy it. Being thankful to God for it. Money, enjoy it. 
being thankful to God for it. Great friends, enjoy them. But be thankful to God for them. A glass of wine, enjoy it. And be thankful to God for it. But yet, even at this very moment, there are some of you going, but what if they get drunk? (laughs) That's a sin. But having the glass is not. And this list could go on and on and on. For the things that the Bible does not say is sinful, use wisdom, but enjoy them and recognize that any joy that you receive from those things flows from the cross for you. Be thankful to God for them. The problem is, is when you begin to think that the source of the joy comes from the item. And not from God. God's provided these things to you. Use them. Enjoy them. And be thankful to God for them. Always running through the DNA of our joy. As Christians. For whatever we enjoy. Always running through that DNA. Should be. An understanding. Of who provided it to you. And that should stir your hearts up for the worship of the provider, not what has been provided. So in conclusion, we're almost done. I want to give you a few more things. But if the Bible doesn't forbid it, enjoy it. I even wrote in my notes, even saying that, my mind starts racing. (laughs) We panic. We can't possibly give people this freedom in Christ because they will sin. They will fail and they will go down the wrong path. We must have rules. You want to read what Paul had to say about that again? I mean, we trust the blood of Jesus enough to cleanse us. We trust him with our eternity. We can't trust him with our freedom. No, we can't possibly trust him with our freedom. I mean, do we really believe the verse that we throw around so often in our church, 2 Corinthians 5.21? For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do we believe that as believers? That God took our sin upon him in Christ? And that for those who believe we get Christ's righteousness and we have been made right before the Lord. Do we not believe that? That is all we need. God does not need any more help. The blood does not need help. And the Holy Spirit that resides in believers can be trusted to guide them. And so anytime we start talking about freedom in Christ, some freak out and think about how bad that's going to turn out. But let me remind you of a couple of quick truths. If you love me, obey my commands. Jesus said that. His followers in John 14, 15. If you love me, yes, Lord, I love you. Obey my commands. Follow me. And then John 16, 13, Jesus said the Spirit would guide us in all truth. The Holy Spirit that resides in us would guide us. And so I would say beware of false teachers and false doctrine. Satan and his demons are involved in them. 
Although I do not believe the Bible teaches that true believers will ever fall away, I can tell you that listening to false teachers as believers, believers who listen to false teachers and false teaching, can, it can cause a tremendous amount of havoc and in your life. And it can expose it to others who are not believers. So be on guard. I'll give you some quick, short little tips about how to identify false teaching. You could probably list a hundred of those. Uh, these are the six that I came up with fairly rapidly. Number one, the Bible is barely used and generally never in context. A verse here and a verse there. Probably, probably a false teacher. The message seems to always be about improving your material life here. It seems like no matter what sermon they're preaching, it has something to do with making your life better here. Probably a false teacher. The message rarely points out sin or calls believers to repentance. Number four, no calling for Christians to live a life of holiness as being evidence, as being evidence of being born again. Number five, no reminders that Christians will suffer in this world. And number six, a lack of emphasis on the gospel. If you're here today and you say, well, that number six, what exactly is the gospel? I am so glad you asked. Here's the gospel. That because of the fall of Adam and Eve, you were born into sin. We're going to have this down, aren't we, church? You were born into sin. No one had to teach you how to sin. You sinned really well all on your own. And yet God, because of his great love, the mercy he had on you, that even while you were an enemy of God, even while you were rebelling against him, he sent Jesus to take your place on the cross, to take your sin on him. And for those who believe, you get his righteousness. And you are made right before God. And you are brought back into the right relationship with the Father. That is the gospel. You would say, well, how do I get that? How, how do I get there? I, I totally recognize I'm a sinner. I totally recognize that I deserve to be punished in hell forever. I totally understand that, and I totally understand that Jesus came to rescue me from that, and that I, I want to be made right. I want to be back in the right relationship with the Father. I want to have the Holy Spirit in my life to guide me in all truth. I'm there. How do I get that? Do I need to take your hand, or I need to repeat a magic prayer? You need to do what everyone else says in the Bible to do. Repent believe. Repent and say, I believe. I believe. And as we say every week, the evidence of whether or not that occurred is that your life will never be the same again. Perfect? No. You will fail and you will struggle. But there will be something different about you where you desire the things of God you desire holiness. You desire the word of God. You desire to be involved in prayer. You desire to be around God's people. Nothing will ever be the same for you. As Keith comes, let me lead us in a word of prayer. I wanted to spend a great deal more time on 1 through 5, but I felt like this is the right way to go. Uh, I thought about getting into all the different false religions that could have been occurring here, but what I want you to know is don't be surprised that people who claim Christ walk away and follow other things. Be very careful. Be very careful 
and wary of what's being taught in your local church, in this church. Be responsible. Make sure that we are preaching the Bible, that we are not calling you to live in such a way that the Bible does not call you to live in. Go before the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us, and we thank you for your grace. I admit, God, I struggle with freedom in Christ and preaching that. There are so many alarms that go off in my um, flesh, Lord. And so, God, I pray that I would learn to trust your Holy Spirit. And I pray that we would preach the Word of God in this church, that we would call people to obey the Word. God, that we would trust your spirit to do the rest. Even in preaching, we trust your spirit to do that as well, Lord. Help us to be people who love you and who follow you. In your name we pray.